the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me as always is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> yeah. And this show is basically a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan, being me, and the man himself, being Adam Terrell. Boom shakalaka. Mate, it's been a while. It's been a minute. And I even fumbled that introduction because it's been like three months since I've had to say it. Get with it, man. Come on. <laughs> I need some more monster. But yeah, I mean, we should address the uh, elephant in the room that, yeah, we, we've been on hiatus for three months. Bloody, uh, I, it seems like a lot longer, to be honest. I totally forgot the, about doing this and I just like, ah, oh, well, it's done for. But yeah, it, it hasn't been as long as it feels, but it's been a long time. Man, it, it's been playing on my mind a lot because I love doing this, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, you know, lots of you've been busy as anything, and obviously, mum yeah. passed away, and so yeah, it's, it's been a lot. But you know, back at it again, super chuffed to be here, and you know, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, obviously, you've got this massive new Katsuhito Ishii box set, but yeah, finally, finally out after bloody years of <laughs> years in the making, and it's out there. Booyata. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're coming with the thunder today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, also, I mean, you and I got to meet finally after, you know, chatting bullshit on Twitter for like three years or something. That was amazing. You're a lot taller than I, than I thought. But then again, I, I keep on forgetting because I live in Japan. Everybody's so small. And then when I go, it'd be, it, would, it hadn't been probably about four or five years since I've even been to England. And I forgot how big people are. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny actually we had the obviously we'd met joey um from terracotta distribution we'd done a podcast with him so we talked over that but when i saw him on the merch stand and went over and gave him a hug he was like fucking hell man i didn't know you were so hench <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he's he's a little man isn't he because he's he's, uh, he's what i'm used to over here in asia but uh, yeah you know you you massive uh massive westerners uh but i mean it was I mean, let, yeah, let's not bury the lead here. This was all at the um, the double bill screening of Shark Skin Man and Party 7 at the Prince Charles Cinema in London. Um, yeah, so we got obviously met you, met Katsuhito Ishii, um, got to hang out with some of the third window, you know, uh, uh, peripheral members, you know, like James <laughs> Belmont and Sayaka and things like that. Um and then, yeah, yes, bumping into Joey. And then, bloody, at the end of the night, we Gareth Evans um, just comes out of the blue and he's like, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, also, we've got to meet loads of people that, are, you know, we speak to so many people on the internet and the internet is quite a, a vast place. And uh, to see so many people that we've been speaking to for so long uh, afterwards and, and well, before the screening, a few of them came uh to the, the drinks we had. And then afterwards, uh, I got to speak to a few too, quite late, actually. Uh, one person even came all the way down from, from Scotland for the screening. Wow. And uh, it was really great chatting with, with everyone. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy uh, and thanks to everyone who did come to the screening and uh, it was great to finally meet all of you. Uh, you know, it was really, really lovely. It was. It was an amazing night. There was such good energy there. I mean, I was talking, I, so I brought a few friends with me over from Cambridge. And um, they hadn't seen the films before and we were watching Sharkskin Man in the cinema and I was just, I couldn't stop smiling because I was like, wow, I've seen this film like five times, but there's something about watching it on the big screen with this audience and like everyone's reactions to some of the crazy ass humor in there. It was just amazing. And after you, about five pints in as well. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. I can't, because um, it's a bit foreign to me. I've been being in England for so long. And I was like, before the screening, everyone was drinking. I was like, are you guys going to be okay? And, and then they're like, yeah, this is England. Yeah. I was like, everybody just said like, this is England. Like, like, that's just like, this is how it is. And for me, it's just like, it's been so long that I thought, if it was me, I'd just be a full of sleep in the cinema. But you all, everybody was fine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like... Um... Like our energizer, I think beer <laughs> keeps us going. Um, 
but yeah, so the, that PCC screening, which was amazing, obviously we had the Q&A as well, which, I mean, Katsuhita Ishii is such a character. Um, I was so impressed with him at how like humble he is and how eager and happy to talk to anyone he is. Um, <laughs> considering, you know, what an accomplished director he is and how <clears throat> revered he is in the industry. Yeah, I mean, he was, for the whole entire journey, I mean, we were in Switzerland doing a retrospective of his beforehand, and the whole time he was like, but I'm not dead yet, you know, why are they doing a retrospective? And I'm like, it's all right, you know, you've got quite a body of work, you know. Uh, he was just so excited to speak to anybody, and then especially at the Prince Charles, because um, I think English uh, audiences are a bit more uh, heated, and uh, everybody was like, kind of a photo with you, and really we were there to like, like, one o'clock or something in the morning, just just talking to people after the the film screening, and he was just so high of that, you know. Uh, and and yeah, Gareth came along, and you know, we, we and Gareth was so great. And Gareth is also like Katsuhito Ishii as well. Like uh, he's mm. such an established director, making these massive Netflix productions, and yeah, he's just like just like a cool like dork. He's just like really into like <laughs> just talking about like otaku stuff and just like this film or that film and you know just like one of us i guess and ishii himself you know he's a bit older but he's just like he's, he's just like really into his stuff isn't he you know so he was just it was so humble and 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 james was really great mc as well and like the whole night was just fantastic yeah yeah i couldn't agree more there was this moment <clears throat> you took us to uh, a dinner in uh, i forget where it was but it was in chinatown it was delicious but I had uh, Katsuhito Ishii opposite me. I had Gareth Edwards next to me. I keep saying Edwards. Evan, Evans. <laughs> yeah. Um, Evans next to me. And I was just pinching myself being like, how the hell did I end up here? This is insane. And Gareth was like showing us raw footage of some of this new short that he's been working on. And yeah, it was just this really surreal moment. <laughs> Yeah, Gareth is a big, big fan of uh, Ovisi, and actually, he actually invited us to um, see some of the stunt works uh, the next day. Like uh, he I was saw, doing, yeah. yeah, preparations for for his next film, and like he 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 was so excited for Ishii to come along, and like they just spent the whole time not looking at the stunts at all, just looking in the corner on the computer, and like just like. Gareth was like, yeah, this is like how we shot this scene. And like, Ishii was like, oh, wow, you know, so you do that and that. And he spent like two hours in the corner while the rest of the people were like, yeah, actually, we got work to do, you know, and they were just going on like, like kids. I mean, uh, it was really cute to watch. Amazing. I mean, Gareth really understood the the weight of Ishii being in the UK for the first time in, what is it, like 15 years or something like that, he said. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean... The- they met before, but Ishii, you know, Gareth is a lot more of a worldwide name than Ishii. So Ishii was just like, oh, Gareth, you know, like, how do you shoot that? You know, they were just like yeah. kids. Uh, you know, they, but they're just, they're, it was such a fantastic evening because both of them are so, so, uh, so cute. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, I also tried to push Gareth into coming on the podcast at some point and he very politely said, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see about that. Hopefully, yeah. He's 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 a very busy man, but I'm sure he'd he'd love to. How was the rest of your you know whirlwind European tour? Yeah, I mean Switzerland was uh, was really really great um, because it was the first time I've been I've been working for that festival New Chantel or New Chantel or, mm. or Newcastle as as it is actually translated to <laughs> in English. Um, but it's a fantastic film festival, uh, fantastic film festival in um, a small town in, in Switzerland, about halfway between Zurich and Geneva. So it's about two hours drive either way. And just on this massive lake, it's just a small, quiet town that, as the best festivals are, gets completely taken over by the audience during the festival. So otherwise, it's quite quiet. And then you have like 60,000 people coming <laughs> for this like fantastic film festival. And it's it was just because the town is so nice, like and the films were great. Uh, you know, they had like John McTiernan, you know, director of um, yeah. Die Hard and all that. Uh, and so they had some big names, but and uh, but but yeah, Ishii. We had, we played seven of his films, um, so so quite the, the majority of his catalog, and uh, most of them were all sold out. We had a a Taste of Tea screening that was at like ten or eleven o'clock at night, uh, running until about one two a.m. outside to about five hundred people, and. Um, was that the the, um, the the thing that you shared with the the standing ovation sort of at the end and him just yeah, like yeah, yeah. wrapping it all up? It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, it's 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 a free screening that they do they do these like free screenings every night out in the uh, in the center of town and it gets like five six hundred people and uh, yeah, everyone was was really into it. Uh, 
And I think a lot of people who were there had never seen any of his films, despite the fact that he had a retrospective. But because they just are real big film lovers, they just came to every one of his screenings. And I was a bit worried at Funky Forest because uh, it was a 10.30 at night screening for a 150-minute film. And the <laughs> wow. cinemas there don't have air conditioning. So it's like really, really hot. So it's if if you're not like into the films, it could be quite hard to to stay with them. So I I said at the beginning of the film, like you know, first of all I asked who who had seen it, and there were only about three people <laughs> out of like two hundred and fifty put their arms up, and I thought, oh, well, you know, it's 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 an acquired taste, so you can leave if you want to, you know, don't don't uh, feel the need to stay. But but I think only about ten people left, and uh, I thought that was quite 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 amazing. good, amazing, amazing. Well, yeah, so, I, I mean, I can't imagine seeing all of those on the big screen. It must have been amazing. Um, I was going to say, so you've released a few of his films already. So, obviously, you did The Taste of Tea. That Was was yeah. that the first time working with him? Yes, that was uh, his first. Uh, and, and that's probably his best film, to be honest. Or oh, my yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's his masterpiece, isn't it? Mm. Um, and, obviously, you brought out Funky Forest as well with Warped Forest, which he had a massive part in developing and directing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's actually just by sheer coincidence. Uh, yesterday, Kikuchi Rinko, um, you know Kikuchi Rinko, the actress from uh, Babel and uh, Pacific Rim, but but obviously, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's in both uh, Funky Forest and Warp Forest, uh, the sequel. And Warp Forest was never released anywhere before the Third Window Films release. It wasn't released in cinemas in Japan. It wasn't released on DVD in Japan, on streaming in Japan or anywhere. Like it, the director made the film because he wanted to make it, but he didn't care about it being released. So he just made it and then shelved it. But, yeah. but Kikuchi Rinko was in the film and she had, I don't think she'd ever seen it herself. So she was in my town in, in Morioka in Iwate. So I went and gave her the Blu-ray and said like, you know, oh, by the way, you know that film you made like years ago, like that nobody's ever seen, like here it is on Blu-ray and uh, she was quite happy. That's amazing. Mm. I mean, that's a pretty fucked up film. She probably watched it going, oh my God. Although you'd know what you were in, weren't right, when you're filming it. She, oh yeah, you, I mean, she was in Funky Forest first, so I thought she, I think she knew how uh, crazy those people were, but um, yeah, she was probably, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a strange film that, isn't it? Oh yeah, but it's the best. And I mean, now with this box set, which, uh, what's the number here? You've got six new films, I think, five features and one short, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Promise of August is halfway in between. It's 50 minutes. But yeah, it's, it's uh, quite a collection of, of films. For sure. I mean, should we t touch a little bit on each one? Because I, I think a lot of people will have heard of these films, but they won't maybe know much about them. Uh, like you said, they've never been available outside of Japan. Yeah, um, and and starting from the beginning with Promise of August, like uh, I don't think anybody anywhere has ever seen that film. It, it was made in 1995 as a sort of student project, in essence. Uh, the director and his friends just wanted to pick up some girls and made the stupid movie in the, in the, in the forest, like on their their summer holiday, and it played yeah. at U Body Film Festival and won an award, but and played like a. <laughs> like at a, at a late night screening in, in Tokyo a couple of times, but that's it. I mean, like the film disappeared after that. I mean, I, I loved it. I think, you know, <laughs> it's all I ever do on this thing is just praise stuff, right? But I was so uh, uh, into that film. I mean, it's 50 minutes long, but, you know, you can, you can see the kind of quirky confidence that Ishii was going to develop and, and bring to Taste of Tea and all of that later. Um well, to be honest, I think the film is quite long. And and I told Ishii that and he said, yeah, it is. Because he initially didn't want it to be that long. He wanted to, he cut it down to about 20 minutes, which would have been very, very good or 20 or 30 minutes. But then the huh. cast all said like, you know, this was our summer holidays like memory. Like you should just put everything in. So he expanded it to 50 minutes, but he thinks it's too long. But even so, I was, some people, actually most people that have seen it so far don't seem to think it's too long. So in that case... um, and also the the transfer is fantastic. I think it's uh, it's unbelievable, it's amazing. Yeah, for for like a, a, a basically a piece about film, shot on film. Uh, we with with getting the original negatives and then re re digitalize them and colorizing them. You know, it just made it look amazing. Yeah, it looks like it was shot yesterday. It's it's, it's wild. Mm. But yeah, no, I'm I'm a big big fan of that one, and um, I'd be interested to see the twenty minute cut if you ever did do one, <laughs> but. Uh, I like it the way it is. And then 
what would be the next one? Did he go straight into Shark Skin Man after that? Was that like his next project? Because it was three years later, wasn't it? Yeah, the the story is is that, uh, and and he mentioned this, uh, I think, on the audio commentary, is that after Promise of August played in this like uh, cinema in Tokyo, he got interviewed by a magazine who said like, "Well, what's next?" And he hadn't really thought about making anything next after that because he was a, com- a director for commercials and, and a, a salary man, basically a um, somebody on a on a monthly salary to make commercials for a, for a, one company. And uh, he just had this like manga around called Shark Skin Man and Peach of Girl. And he's like, well, if I were to make an next film, it would be this. And it ended up being that. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it took uh, a few years after, but it was still made by the same company he was hired for to be make commercials. And um, it, it's not uh, uh, an exact manga adaptation in the, the sense that most Japanese do manga adaptations in the fact that they just copy it word for word. And he added a few new characters and all that. So it's, it's it's got some originality to it, uh, you know. That was his only adaptation. Afterwards, it only became original works. But um, mm. it's quite a good adaptation. I mean, it's a great film, isn't it? It's a oh, very very amazing. fun film. Again, like watching it with that audience was uh, amazing, and obviously Tadanobu Asano is just incredible. Um, and we still get that amazing sequence in the in the bathroom <laughs> with the gun. Um, yeah, that, that's that's the one that Tarantino really loved and and dragged the. Uh, after the screening, the world premiere of that film in in Hawaii, like Tarantino just went up to him and, and was like, "Was we really love that scene so much?" And then uh, the story goes is that Ishi was like Ishi's translator was really tired. She wanted to go home and go back to the hotel they were staying at, and and Ishi wanted obviously wanted to speak more with Tarantino, but, but couldn't without a translator. So the but the translator kept on bugging him, like, I want to go back to the hotel. I want to go back to his like, oh, fucking hell. It's Tarantino, but all right, we'll go back to the hotel. So he started to go back to the hotel, and then Tarantino just pulled up next to him in a car and was like, I'm following <laughs> you back to the hotel. And then he just followed them back to the hotel. And then just, like, made Ishii speak for, like, like hours about, like, how he shot every scene. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that, is, that was the start of a beautiful relationship, right? Because, obviously, Ishii then was brought on board to animate the the kind of um uh origin story of oren ishii mm. in kill bill um <laughs> yeah and apparently like initially like when tarantino tarantino just like one day called called ishii like i think ishii, ishii was saying he was working on a commercial one day and he just got a call from like tarantino's manager saying like i'm in tokyo come here so she was like, all right, I'm just going to like stop this commercial and go meet Tarantino. <laughs> so he went to Tarantino and Tarantino just like apparently like like spent like three, four hours just explaining the whole entire film shot by shot. Wow. Like just explain the whole entire story, not just like a synopsis, just like the whole film to him. And then Ishii was like, okay, I, I know exactly what you want. <laughs> but initially, and Ishii was just like making like some very rough ideas. Like this is the type of thing that you, that, to, to use for when you make this anime like these are just rough ideas you'll then get your team and then you can brush them up but like apparently like those rough ideas were just used as is wow okay. so those i those all those drawings that were, were used and the characters that were used in the original anim- in the final animation were just actually rough they were only meant to be used as rough ideas but they ended up being used as is i mean yeah if you've seen any of his other stuff you know like obviously the intro to party seven or you know Trava, the um, the kind of pilot episode he did for that you know uh, show, um, they are quite rough around the edges. So it kind of fits in with his style a bit, you know, having that kind of DIY attitude. Well, for Party Seven, actually, he did the rough, and then Koike Takashi, the um, director of Redline, brushed yeah. them up and, and made them into a proper animation. So, it, but but yeah, he's got his own style that again, then, then in most cases, a proper animator makes it proper. But in the, in the sense of Kill Bill, like that was just used as is, which is quite rare. I've not seen Kill Bill in years. I might have to go back and, and rewatch it now just to see it's that. It's the 20th anniversary and we tried to get it to play at New Chantel alongside with Ishii films this year, but uh, they, they wanted too much money for it or something. So we didn't. Of course. I remember they were going to release um, the whole bloody affair, right? So it was like one and two edited into one like four or five hour film or something like that. Mm. I don't know what happened to that though. Actually, I, th- I thought they did and I guess they didn't. All, all the talk about it made, made it seem like it did happen, but maybe it didn't, did it? I saw a fan edit come on online where someone's just done it themselves, but I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's just editing into a four or five hour film, then it is just splicing them together. So, Yeah. 
Um, okay, cool. Well, let's move on to Party 7 then, because we just touched on it there. Um, it's interesting that this, so this was made after he met Tarantino, right? And it feels like it's a lot more inspired by kind of Tarantino um, in style, at least. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it was. Yeah, it was it was after he met Tarantino, but I'm not sure if yeah, when was Kill Bill actually? Two thousand two thousand one and three? Huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's when they started work. Maybe because I, I think this year was supposed to be the twentieth anniversary, so it could have been two thousand and three. Maybe they started it in two thousand and one, making it. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure uh, anybody who can look up on the internet right now will know. But um, <laughs> but Party Seven initially he had made it as a short film. Uh, years before and mm-hmm. it ended up getting that short film didn't work out i think they, they, they shot it and like they they the films were over, over exposed or something like that and they destroyed the films that they they, they of the, that they shot wow but um and the funny thing about it is if you pay attention the character names for example nagase masatoshi the main character his name his character's name is miki shunichiro who is obviously the yeah, the, the, the other his, his friend Forest and director. funky forest director so um those were the people who played those roles in the original short film so miki Shinichiro oh. play, so so that's why but the, so the character name stayed over um into the into the the, the final version but um yeah it, it does have that sort of uh quirky i mean star skin man is super tarantino as it is um but but party seven is just i think that the, the 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 perverted element of it is a bit different though, isn't it? That's a bit Japanese. Uh, the, the... <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, in fact, I was I was saying to Ishii over dinner. You know, um, I think what that film does wonderfully is it's like it's almost like a theatre production, like a play, because it's all in one location. You got your seven characters um, all interacting in funny, crazy ways, but it begins and ends with this really kind of abstract, uh, almost existential joke about shit <laughs> and uh i said to him just like was this like a comment on you know it doesn't matter what happens in between it all begins and ends with shit and he just kind of smiled and said you can interpret it however you want i don't know <laughs> so i think i think you can like uh psychoanalyze and you know look into stuff way more than is necessary and sometimes it's just for the giggle isn't it <laughs> the one scene that always gets me is the opening in that after the shit talk in the in the beginning just before the opening credits, there's that one scene in which Nagase Masatoshi comes and starts to sign himself in on the register. And then yeah. you hear this like noise in the back room. And then you, you see a guy comes out, like zips his pants up. And then like <laughs> a guy who looks like his brother, like also comes out and his like mouth is like covered in this white stuff. And, like it, it, that is a scene I think that really, really like, I, because there's no explanation to it whatsoever in, in that, that part. And, I think that just that scene is is uh, is one that really I never I never I enjoy it, but I never had any idea what it's about. That's what I love about his films. So I mean, again, we'll keep going back to it. It's like Funky Forest, but that irreverent humor that they're not even going to explain why it's funny. They're just going to do it, and if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. That yeah. Because that's going to make it, it's going to completely throw you off. You're going to be like, what the fuck just happened there? And then it's never commented on. It just keeps going. <laughs> really, really good. Um, but yeah, obviously you've got like, you know, Tadanova Asano again in a very different role here. Um, uh, essentially being the pervert, right? Or, I mean, there's lots of perverts, but he's like a, a big pervert. Yeah. I think like, because the issue was always saying like, he tries to, Tarantino Asano is such a good actor that he keeps on trying to give him like the strangest roles possible to <laughs> yeah. see if he'll do them. Like as a joke, sometimes like just putting him in these strange situations, like, to see if we do them, especially if you think about 2000 was like Taranobo Asano was like peak, like, um, like how do you like GQ man of the year type? Uh, like, you know, he was the peak hot man of Japan and, and, yeah. and, and, and worldwide, you know, he was like the, uh, I don't know, who do you say? Like Ryan Gosling or whatever. Like, uh, and then, so all the roles that he was ever get, given were these like proper, proper, you know, top man, looking the best uh mm. whether he'd be strange or not but like really really <laughs> and then like ishi puts him in this like old dad vest and like makes him like <laughs> this like panty voyeur who goes in a room with a guy in a banana suit like and then he becomes like the captain yellow or captain the yellow and you know yeah. it's it's just like it's amazing you know that that relationship between the two and it only obviously you know with funky forest it gets weirder and weirder but um 
the 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 fact that Osano is just like up for those things, and the fact that Ishii will push him to do those things, it's like that that the relationship that there aren't many other like actor directors that have that such such a relationship. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned that there, like while he kept a lot of the weird, perverted side of things for a little while, he did kind of say goodbye to this type of cinema, didn't he, from this project onwards. This was like the last time he did a proper, like, you know, um, weird, dark kind of action comedy. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, maybe he just didn't didn't want to. I think, you know, because both Shasuke Man and Party 7 were huge uh, box office successes in Japan. Yeah. And... With that, you know, everybody wants you to continue making the same thing because uh, mm-hmm. that's how it works in 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 the in the world. Um, but I think maybe he just didn't want to do that, uh, and he wanted to try something else. And maybe also, I think those two films were with the company Tohoku Shinsha, and he got really he didn't fill out with them afterwards. And maybe when he went, uh, he started this thing called Grass, working with the company called Grasshopper, mm-hmm. and making this like sort of monthly video magazine. Um, afterwards in which they would make these dvds that were like short segments of things like um okay. i've got some of them uh in, uh, here like where they would make yeah like it was like a sort of funky forest in essence i mean there was just sort of short movies some animated films like hal and bonds or, or new travel planet or some things like frog river which was like a film they split up over like each like 20 minute version each each one of these five or six issues of the, this video magazine they had and, no uh, way. Do you know what? I think yeah. I've seen Frog River. Did they they edit that into a feature eventually? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was initially it was a feature, and it was sort of cut up into these like oh. segments. And that was directed by by um, by Ishimine Aniki, uh, the, yes. the, the, of the three, and and it also stars um, you know uh, uh, all all the people, you know, all those guys. It stars Ishi and and all these other people. They're just friends um, doing this uh, uh, silly film, and it's just in like set of record shops and all that, and. And yeah, if you get the Crosshopper DVDs, they're split up into like this, like Frog River Part One, Part Two, Part Three, Part Four, and Part Five. Maybe somebody's put them together on the internet, but um, yeah, that that Grasshopper magazine was like ran for 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 a few years uh, in between after the Tohoku Shinsha. So, and then that that spawned, I guess, uh, Taste of Tea and Funky Forest. For sure, that's mad. Okay, well. Then we've got three more here that are they were brand new to me. I'm assuming they'll be brand new to everyone else. Um, one of them was is it Solasoy? Solasoy, and I think like Letterboxd actually put out a, a, a best of the month uh, article, including which included this, this box set. And in their their their, their write up of it, it was like it came with these films that that are so unknown that the only review for Sorosoy is from like the person who did the check disc, which obviously was, was I, think, <laughs> I think you, uh, that was either, that was either for that or Norioka workshop, but like one of those two were just like so unknown that like, they were like the only person who's seen it was the person who's checked the blue, the third window films, Blu-ray. That's amazing. I'm just looking at Letterbox now. Yeah, it was, it was just me. Now there's, there's five on there now. Oh, oh it's, it's getting more popular. But, but Sorosoy was like, it actually played at the Berlin Film Festival, so it's not that unknown, but I guess it played at that film festival and then nowhere else, really. Maybe some other, like, it might have played Nippon Connection or a few other places. But I remember when I was at that time in 2008 and I was desperate to see it myself and I wrote a letter to Nice Rainbow, who was, which is the production company mm. that the, the three directors from Funky Forest made, saying, like, please can I see sort of soy or something like that? And they sent me a DVD and I've somewhere I've got this uh, DVD of sort of soy that, that from them, but um, it became like just forgotten because um, it never was, was released. Um, it was a workshop film and it was never released. I think it might've played like a couple some cinemas in Japan, but never released outside of Japan other than, than a couple of film festivals, never released on DVD in Japan, never released on, on uh, streaming in Japan. So, and this was, you know, 15 years ago so it's just disappeared and right. it, it's strange because it's it's nikaido fumi um yeah who is who is now obviously such a big name and it was her very first film before warp forest um she was just like a a teenager and it was a workshop film with uh with sort of amateur students um but it, it's it's quite quite fun and charming i mean it's not it's not one of his best works by 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 a mile but uh you know it's it's uh it's people can finally see it through this box set I mean, I've seen this year alone so many kind of summer teen films um, from Japan, and they all have this very similar vibe, which is just really wholesome and nice. 
Um, and I definitely got that from this. I think I put in my review, it's <clears throat> like spending a summer with a bunch of energetic Japanese teens, but not in a creepy way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not mm. creepy. It's, he takes away a lot of the perverted stuff that he normally deals with, because I guess it's when you're dealing with teens, it's uh, it's not advisable. Well, the quirk, the, the perverted stuff is mostly Miki Shinichiro, to be honest. I think uh, whenever <laughs> any like hardcore perverts, perverts, and, that, and that's the same with Funky Forest as well. When it gets like hardcore and perverted, perverted, it's Miki. When it's more wholesome, I mean, it's, it's Ishii. And Ishii is quite like a wholesome guy. So, you know, yeah. but Miki was, was sort of a part of that film because uh, it was pretty much like a sort of, like pretty much just like a, a, a workshop film, like a very amateur film. But um, yeah, Ishii is quite wholesome. And if you think of like the the quirky, wholesome bits in Taste of Tea, like when all the, um, I love the scene where the four boys are are waiting in the uh, roadside cafe. Like, yes. for, 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 yeah, like they were all like, it's just like boys who are boys stuff, you know? I mean, those bits I really love the most. Well, one of them's dressed up as a girl, though, isn't he? To try and put his legs out the window. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just to, to, um, but <laughs> I mean, flash like, him. to flash him. You're like, uh, that's sort of, it's like a countryside uh, Japanese, you know, boys. But, but, but Japanese boys are a lot different than Western boys because, um, Japan, 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 Japan as a whole nation are a lot more wholesome, and I think, you know, a lot of kids here. I mean, I've it really blows my mind every time I come in contact with this is that it, like, you know, here is the, the age of drinking is 20. Right. And nobody, okay. nobody checks your ID, of course, like they, they do anywhere else. But, but like, I've known like even some like rockabilly or punk kids and I'll be out in a restaurant with them and they'll be like, Oh, you want to drink? They're like, Oh no, no, I don't turn 20 until next week. I can't drink yet. And it's like, mm. yeah, but like, they're not going to ask your idea anyway. And like, you know, you're close enough to 20 and they're like, yeah, but I'm not 20 yet. Like it's just like <laughs> Japanese are really like rule abiding and they're like quite wholesome as a, as a whole compared to, um, you know, all of our Westerners and we're like 12 years old and we're trying to get fake licenses to buy like, or, buy, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or pay people, to pay, pay older people to buy us alcohol, you know, so we can get pissed. And then, you know, it's, it's just a different, different world. And I think she really like shows that really, really well, like that, uh, that cute, uh, cute boys thing. <laughs> I completely agree. And the conversation that they're having is so funny because they're talking about, oh, you fancy her and all that stuff. <laughs> and then it just cuts to this amazing sh reaction shot of the woman that's running the restaurant just looking at them being like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's the thing. He's got a real solid grasp of comedy, I think, Ishii. And um, I I think his voice is quite unique. Like, as I said, like some of his films are a bit Tarantino-esque in how they kind of edited and... Um, the characterizations and stuff, but his his eye on comedy is is pretty singular. Yeah, and bring it to the next film, Hello Junichi. I mean, it's a really funny, charming comedy. It's a kids' film, but you know anybody could watch it, and and that sort of like just yeah, charming comedy. Uh, it, it's it can be quite hard to do actually. It, it can become too twee, or it could become a bit annoying. But uh, I think you know. With these later films from the set, the uh, Sorosoi, Hello Jinichi, and afterwards Norioka Workshop, like that, just it's just fun, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? Was, I saw again, I put in my review, it actually reminded me of Turtles Are Surprisingly Fast Swimmers, but just with kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like this really sweet, there's not much edge to it. It's just like child, you know, childlike joy. Hmm. I mean, it's just cute. I mean, Hello Jinichi is, is, I mean, that movie was actually made um, because. Uh, I think it just after um, maybe Fukushima. I mean, it was made a few years after Fukushima, but he wanted just to make a film that like would cheer people up, and he wanted to make a film that all kids could watch for free. Mm -hmm. So they 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 put the money in themselves and they released it that all children were allowed to go to the cinema for free to watch it because I think the nation was a bit tough at the time, and obviously a lot of people won't go to the cinema, and he wanted to get kids back into the cinema to make this film for kids to see for free in the cinema amazing and yeah like it's it's it seems quite relatable even though it is is silly um was it a hit was it a hit when it came out yeah well i mean initially it was like they were just trying to do it properly independent i mean it's 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 an independent film there's no like a uh, major distributor involved just mm. for this this showing for, for kids uh for free and then i think they were like, well, we might as well just put it in a few more cinemas and have like have proper distribution. And they were able to speak to, um, I believe it was Eon. Eon is a, is a mall chain in in Japan that's quite big, especially in the countryside. And they put it into those Eon cinemas, and therefore more people saw it. But I mean, 
I don't think it was that successful. I mean, but um, but yeah, Mitsushima Hikari, who plays the um the teacher in that, is a very big name. So maybe she brought a few people into it. But it's it's and it ended up getting a DVD release. So I guess in that respect, it's it's not uh, totally uh, a, a failure. No, sure. I think it's a really good one to include in this box set because. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, my friends who are, who are my age, their kids are actually a lot older. I mean, my daughter's only three, but I've got one mate who's, you know, one kid's, I think, 12 and the other one's 10. And they're getting, uh, you know, into uh, Japanese culture. You know, they read uh, mangas and they like watching anime. And this is the sort of film that you can share with them. And it's like a gateway into Ishii's stuff for when they get older and... <laughs> A little bit yeah, more I, I, I mean, Joey's kid, uh, he's, he's showing them Battle Royale already. So maybe ah, the well, kids yeah. nowadays have got a bit of a different mentality to watching some, you know, actual kids films. But, um, you know, I guess uh, it's, it's uh, actually I think adults uh, enjoy this film a lot more. I mean, I love mm. that 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 Mitsushima Ikari's character, you know, uh, that sort of like slag teacher. And she's just talking about <laughs> like, how, like, like how she went up on a date with some guy and then like left him in, because because he wanted her to put out or something like that. I mean, it was, it's yeah. really, really funny. Uh, she's really fantastic in the film. Um, and and she's such a big name that uh, it's just a bit of testament as well. Apparently, she did the film for quite cheap as well. So, um, it's, uh, so apparently, she, she's. Uh, I spoke to Ishii about her and he said that like she's really, really, really nice person. Her brother, her brother's in films like Hanagatami and uh, her brother as well is really, really cool. So um, it's it's always nice to hear that on top of things. Beautiful. Yeah, that comes across in the film for sure. That's really nice. All right. And then last but not least is Norioka Workshop, which honestly, right, I, I went on a journey with this one because it's it's one of those, it started, it's quite, I mean, it's clearly very cheap, you know, that it was made on one location, very few actors. And I didn't really see what what it was doing. And then once the penny dropped about what was actually going on, I was I was really impressed by it. I actually really liked it. And um, yeah, it's a very short one, isn't it? I think it's about 15 or 20 minutes. I don't think no, no, it's th- 30, 30 minutes. Is it 30? Okay, great. Yeah, it's, it's... Um, but yeah, no, I, and I asked Ishii a bit about it. and He was very humbled that I liked it so much. But um, I don't know where I read it, but I'd, I'd read somewhere that Ishii had had a hand in designing the house himself, and I asked you about it. You were like, "No, that's completely false, right?" Not only is that false, but 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 other people seem to be writing about it as well. So I think that rumor seems to have spread because I saw somebody else put it put some review about that online. And may, maybe he did, but um, from what I heard was that it was a model house that financed the film in order to use the model house. Um, I mean, maybe Ishii set up the layout in it, but um from what I heard is that it was this company um, and I think like an ad, they were using it to promote a house or so. But what I also heard is that that company wanted two films made, mm-hmm. one from Ishii and one from another woman, uh, an actress called Megumi. And apparently that actress, Megumi, took all the ma- the majority of the budget that was allocated for the two films. And oh, Ishii already had like, like a tiny bit of budget left. So like even like he, I don't think he even got paid himself to do it. So I think that also made him needed to make it one location and uh, change the story to be quite uh, small because uh, <laughs> the budget was all gone by the time uh, by the time his, his turn came around. That's fascinating. But yeah, I guess like necessity is the mother of invention because the lo-fi quality to it actually works in its favor when it comes to the twist. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's basically this guy who's... It's actually a great performance. I forget the gentleman's name that um, in the lead. Uh, Liu Morioka, who's actually in, in Sorasoi and uh, Halo. He plays the um, the uh, sort of love interest, uh, the, the guitar-playing uh, guy in, in uh, oh, yeah. Halo Genichi. And he also is in Warped Forest, uh, quite a big role as well. One of the, the boys that is after uh, Fumini Kaido. He's clearly a, a semi-professional actor. Oh, he's no, he's a big actor, actually. No, sorry, the character in the film. Oh, okay, the character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And um, he's advertising for this, you know, acting workshop for people that want to get into the industry. And these two very pretty, uh, seemingly naive girls show up at his door to have the the workshop. And uh, it's all quite funny and twee until you realise why the girls are actually there. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was brilliant. I won't spoil it, but... Um, 
it, it also plays on a lot of things as well because he was a very, very big name himself uh, when he was earlier. And I think he's not as, as big a name now. And uh, the girls themselves were auditioned as workshop to be in the Cinema Battle Workshop. So it sort of plays wow. on their own lives um, within that. So it adds a, there's a few more layers to it on top of the uh, silliness that it has, uh, which which makes it a little more, more interesting. But it's, it's whether you know that or not, I mean, it is really funny, especially the two mm. girls. Uh, and the, they, they, I love those, those two girls. They're really funny, the way they play off each other. Yeah, they're fantastic. So they're brand new, are they? They're, you know, new actresses. Yeah, and they've not done anything really since either. I mean, they were. I think they've got like 500 followers on on, Insta, on Twitter or something like that. I'm sure if you write them, they'll reply back immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be straight on that next. Um, do you know what? A little sidebar. Is um, our workshop still really popular in Japan? Because obviously there's been quite a bit of controversy recently about, you know, stuff that's maybe happened on these workshop films. Uh, has that changed at all? Well, I mean, the problem is, is with with uh, One Cut of the Dead being such a success, everybody wanted to make a workshop film because it doesn't right. cost you anything as a producer, and the cast paid to be in it. And and <laughs> if the film if it's success, all the money goes to the producer. So it's 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 a, in business sense, it's a very very good. But um, apparently, actually, from what I heard, is that some of the people that were caught up in the old the Me Too things, such as uh, Sasaki were doing workshops again now recently um, uh, because it was a way for them to make movies without their name getting out there in, exactly in a big oh, way okay. because there were no companies involved. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's being used. Um, I always said from the beginning, it's, workshops are complicated because, um, of course, there's, they can be seen as an exploitation of, of, of uh, young actors. But at the same time, some young actors might go to school to learn acting and never ever get have anything to show for it. And in these workshop cases, you could be an actor with no management who is just like an amateur and end up being in a film like One Cut of the Dead that becomes seen by millions worldwide. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a two way street. Um, but but yes, uh, it depends who's running them. I guess you know you can have good ones and bad ones. Yeah, for sure. It's just interesting that you don't really get those sort of films in any other country, right? No <laughs> because really there's unions. unions. <laughs> <laughs> you can't like, because if you just think about it, I mean, basically, these people are paying to be in this film you're making, in essence. So having you try talking to a SAG in America and say, like, actors should pay to be in, in the films and, and, and you'll see what will happen. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different culture, I guess. For sure. <laughs> okay cool well look i mean i think this might be the prettiest coolest box set you've done so far uh the artwork's absolutely awesome mm, i really think so the colors as well because of the um uh, we used and the the animation still um you know i think it you know animation itself obviously allows for a lot more than than visual and a lot more color than than regular still photos and uh it does really give it a pop um that 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 we haven't had in, in previous because other other ones have just been images right you know stills from from movies and and this when it opens up into the the uh the animation from party 7 it just has that pop that uh that comes across really well. It's a very nice box, um, and the gloss is nice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very happy. It's the same designer who did uh, the Toyota boxes and the um, Obayashi boxes. Uh, a guy called Paul Jeffrey is called We Are Passage is his company, and he's, he's super cool uh, and makes really really interesting designs. Yeah, man. No, it's it's lush and it looks great in the collection. Um, I know I saw Ishii signing a hell of a lot of them at the PCC. Um, <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of signed ones out there. Do you still have some left? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've dragged him after we, I think the same day that we got back from Switzerland. And uh, I'm just like, can you come to my house and like sign like 100 DVDs? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, all right. So he just came uh, just signing away and all that. And um, I didn't, we didn't sell that many at the, the PCC. Um, so I think there are about 30 left that are the Terracotta have and will put up for sale uh, at some point. Um, they're on holiday uh, until August the 3rd. So um, after that, maybe the Terracotta will have them up for sale. Yeah, for sure. 
But yeah, I think um, I don't know when we're releasing this episode, but uh, the the box set's out now, isn't it? I think pre-orders have already shipped, and it should be out on general release now. Yeah, yeah it's out um, out for for. I think Terracotta usually ships a bit earlier. Some sort, some people mm. already have it, but um, yes, uh, anybody out there who's got it, and uh, please, please post post photos up and help spread the word, please, because. Uh, you know, I, I love Ishii and uh, a lot of people don't really know too much about him other than Shaskin Man and he's got quite a varied uh, catalogue. For sure. All right, Lush. Now, you know, it's been three months since our last episode, which is when we had James Belmont on to talk all about music in Japanese film. But since then, you did release one amazing film um, that we haven't had a chance to talk about. So maybe just touch on that briefly um, at the end here. Let's go. Yeah, so it's Isao Yukisada's Go from 2001, which, uh, I mean, you should talk about it a bit more because you know the kind of history behind it, but it's a phenomenal like coming-of-age film that I, I, was, I was kind of blown away by. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really got the best of each, each person connected it. It's their best performance, for example, uh, Kubotsuka Yosuke, who... Uh, who ended up being a lot of Toyo, Toyota Toshiaki films, but he is just, it's one of his, he's, when he's quite young, and it's a really brilliant performance by him. Uh, Isao Yukisada is actually, the director, is actually a really, really big name in Asia. He makes a lot of melodramas that are huge in China and Korea and such, but to be honest, I don't really like the majority <laughs> of them, but um, but Go is, is by far and away his best work. Thanks a lot to uh, Kankuro Kudo, who is the the scriptwriter? Who um, yes. is also wrote Punk, Punk Samurai, uh, which was quite an unfilmable novel that he adapted uh, rather well. And Go is really the the script is great. Um, it's got a really nice energy to it. Uh, obviously, the themes are, are are were very important at the time, especially um, maybe slightly less uh, nowadays. But then again, with the whole uh, situation with uh, with uh, us with COVID and splitting up uh, Asia with with China and all that, it does bear bear a little more relevance. And um, I think it's it's quite an important film in Japanese uh, film history. And it's a very entertaining film. It's, it's a tad long, but it's um <laughs> it's just it's it's a it's a good film that, that not many people know of. Uh, unfortunately, I mean um, because it it's, uh, it was never released outside of Japan. It played in in um, Berlin Film Festival when it was in two thousand one, but after that, pretty much just just uh unknown so um i think a lot of people if they don't want to pick up the blu-ray it's available on like amazon and such to rent so um i think people okay. if, if people can give it a, a watch i mean i i really would like to that people that, that film to get out there a little more oh man absolutely and i mean i was just thinking then when you said about um Kankura Kudo, um i just recently watched for the first time ping pong ah. um but again that that stars um uh, what's his name? Uh, Yosuke Kabutsuka. Mm. Yeah, and he's almost unrecognizable. Like he's got a bowl cut. He's like <laughs> super surreal in that film. But he was like transcendent in this. I couldn't believe how good his performance was. And um, oh, yeah. uh, Ko Shibasaki, um, who I'd never really seen much outside of Battle Royale, but she was just incredible as the as the girl. I mean, it's amazing, and it's also you know, I think. Uh, uh, actually, James interviewed uh, Yukisada for, um, I think it was Dazed, uh, and he was talking about the film. And it was interesting because Yukisada is a really, really interesting person uh, per- as a person. He's, he, he talks mm. very, very well, and, and he always explains things really well. And he was talking about, and I never really picked it up too much. Um, you know, he was saying that a lot of the characters, like uh, Shibazaki Ko, when there's a scene in which they... They're, um, are about to have love and she finds out that he's a, a Korean and she says a lot of stuff that you wouldn't actually it does sound a bit strange when she says it and what the director was was explaining that um basically a lot of the dialogue in the film is what people are thinking and they're speaking it out loud but it's actually the things that Japanese people were thinking so right, sometimes okay. when you when you when things that are thought gets put out into actual real words, it can sound like a bit like um, too much. Like this mm-hmm. isn't reality. It's, it's a bit too much, but actually that's what people were, th- were thinking in, in Japan. And uh, he, he's just vocalizing people's thoughts. So it, it's a bit uh, offensive, but it's also, that's what I think he was 
saying that a lot of people, Japanese people at the time were thinking about. Um, so that's really interesting. That is really interesting. And actually now that makes a lot more sense because a lot of the film is like that. It seems like quite introspective, but they are talking all the time. Mm. And especially his relationship with his father. But I was just thinking he, he befriends that kind of uh, Yakuza son and he goes to his birthday party and he's sitting down at the table. Like I, I think he's reading, is it Catcher in the Rye? Um, mm. Something mm. like that. Yeah, and yeah. She, com- she comes over and sits next to him, starts talking to him, and he- he's just sitting in the middle of a party reading this book in the middle of this like club scene, and yeah, it, it was a it was a weird scene, but um, it worked so well. Yeah, also I think the casting of people like Hirofumi Arai, who um is one of the the, the sort of tough kids because he's also Zaininchi, he's also mm-hmm. um uh, from Korean descent, so I think it adds a few more layers to it. Um, but I think what I love the casting about it is uh, is uh, Yamamoto Taro, who I, obviously at the time was an actor. Um, he's one of the, the, the three of them as like the sort of bad kids um, who yeah. are the motorcycle, the bike scene at the first. He actually is the head of the um, Leiwa Shinsugumi political party in Japan now. He no was an actor. He was an actor then. He was in films like Battle Royale, but now he's the head of this like ultra left, like the um, the Green Party um, version. Yeah. Uh, in Japan, the Reiwa uh, Shinsegumi, and actually um, uh, Haru, Haru Kazuo, the documentary filmmaker, made a four-hour documentary about uh, Reiwa Shinsegumi. Um, so it, it's obviously a bit hard to track down, but that film is, is a really good documentary, especially looking at the political side of, of uh, Japan nowadays. But the connection is obviously that the head of this party was in, was in Go, and he was in a lot of... Uh, he was always playing a bad kid in a lot of the films, like Battle Royale. He's got such a distinct look, and he's a big <laughs> lad as well. So, yeah, I'd like to see that documentary. That sounds fascinating. Well, you can watch the um, news as well. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he's all over the news. But, but that documentary is really, really good. Um, it gives you some insight into uh, Japan. There's so many good cameos as well that, again, like certain people just keep just popping up in every single film I see, uh, like Renosugi. I think, mm. I mean... Literally everything that I've been watching recently, he pops up in, which has been fascinating. Especially uh, pink Yoshi- films. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Door and he was yeah. in, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Guard from Underground. Um, Yoshiyuki Morishita as well, um, who obviously works with Ishii quite a lot. He uh, he pops up in there as the moped driver at the start. It's like <laughs> smashed in the face. Um, Kanji Suda's in there as well, isn't he? Um, yeah, he's in everything, everything. Yeah, so it's all fucking great. But yeah, I mean, if you if you guys are listening, you haven't seen this film. Uh, if you like things like Toshiaki Toyoda's Blue Spring or uh, Takeshi Kitano's Kids Return, this is the sort of thing that you're going to get from this. It's super stylish. It's got an incredible soundtrack. The performances are epic and it actually gets really deep, but it's in this really entertaining little package. And uh, yeah, I gave it four and a half out of five. I absolutely... Love it to bits. Yeah, I hope more people. I mean, the thing about that film was it was always considered by by film lovers or, or even distributors like myself to be like this classic film. But because it's always this, it's this sort of classic film, it was always thought of as being too expensive to buy. Right. And and even I tried in the past to buy it, and it was too expensive. But the um the the sales agent at Toei changed and it's become a lot easier to buy films from them so i was able to pick this this film up but um yeah i think because it was always that classic it was it was actually had that reverse effect where it became too expensive for distributors to pick up right and that's why it's a little less known while at the same time like everybody it's like a film like typhoon club or something where everybody knows of it but nobody's seen it and uh you've said this before like you know these these production companies they they hold on to these things so tightly and, you know, we're not dropping the price. It's this price. And you're like, well, no one can afford that price. So no one's going to see this film. So the film is going to die. <laughs> so, you know, have some wiggle room, lower it a bit, make it accessible. Loads of people see it. You know, that that's what you need to do. Yeah. They, they don't care whether, I mean, they're not filmmakers. I mean, it obviously just depends on the company and also the person within the company. That's why I always have a problem with Toho is because the people who work at Toho, they just like, they don't. They know what Godzilla is, but they, they don't know what like the films they own, and they own all these great like independent films, like like Mermaid. Um, uh, what was the one you saw yesterday? Uh, oh, Mermaid Legend. Yeah. Mermaid Legend. Yes, that's another film that Toho are handling, and it's like, oh well, fucking hell. 
but like n- nobody at Toho, any of the stuff that you'd meet and talk to, like they never heard of that film. They've never heard of like Art Theatre Guild or Directors Company or like, you know, all of these like great independent films that they for some reason own the rights to. And, uh, you know, so if you find companies where the people really love film and, and then you can work with them and you can sort of, they can help, they can work on your behalf to sort of push the rights holders to, to lower the freeze or anything. But uh, it, it's just how it, how it is, unfortunately. And that's why, you know, you, I guess you're lucky sometimes if, if somebody changes within a company or, uh, hmm. or, or one thing or another. I mean, it's, 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 it's all just, uh, yeah, luck and, and uh, persistence. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you about Mermaid Legend of <laughs> Hope. Because, I mean, I didn't think I would see a film that hit me harder than Evil Dead Trap in a while. And then I saw that and I was like, oh my God, this might be even better. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's Toho. I mean, in, in that case, because I've been working with a director's company and some of the producers from them and uh, like films like actually Crazy Family, mm. that was a Toho film like Mermaid Legend. It was on, it's nothing to do with Toho. It's, it's a director's company film that Toho took the rights over. And in, in the case with Crazy Family, like its producer has managed to get some wriggle room in trying to bring the rights back. And in that case, I'm talking to him to push Toho to move for it. So there is an opportunity that something might happen with that. When in the past, I thought no, nothing could happen. But right. in, in with Mermaid Legend, I'm not sure we're even that lucky. Or I mean, I'd have to find... I mean, I think the director wouldn't help, but um, maybe some producer <laughs> or some sort of rights holder or something that could push it. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But... um. It's on Blu-ray in Japan, so there are materials ready. Um, Is it? Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know where where they came from. I don't know if it's, uh, for example, a lot of the negatives that I've been working with recently have been newly discovered for things like Door and Guard from Underground. So they're brand new restorations, but um, maybe something like uh, Mermaid is from an old, old... Actually, I, after you saw it, I, I looked on Amazon and bought the Blu-ray, and it's arriving tomorrow, so I'll see what actual quality it is. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I loved it a bit, so I'll be definitely watching it again. It just reminded me so much of like Lady Snowblood and things like that, you know, just these amazing female revenge films. Anyway. I mean, that company, Director's Company, is, is amazing. I mean, yeah, I've got loads of their titles up soon, but um, they really broke boundaries. Well, let's move on then to what you've got coming next, because you just mentioned there, there's a few that you've had these amazing restorations. I've been lucky enough to do the check discs. And yet again, the the new transfers are absolutely mind blowing. I can't believe how good they look. Well, when you have the negatives, the original, then you can, they're usually in in pristine condition. I mean, obviously, if they've been stored well, because they're only used to copy to make positives and that's it you know they're not played in cinemas which obviously is the positive print and wears down the quality of it but if you have the negative then you can make if the negative is in decent condition you can make a new new good quality version out of it and in these cases a friend of mine had discovered the negatives of all these films from the director's company including guard from underground and door and therefore we can remaster them and recut recolor them because uh negatives don't have the uh the final grading so they need to be regraded but um yeah guard from underground looks fantastic and and door obviously door was that's a lost film i'm in essence i mean it was made in 1988 and then uh, just lost uh, for the longest amount of time yeah i mean yeah they they both blew me away um the guard from underground especially i was like not expecting it to be as good as it was um if that makes sense (laughs) because again i just heard it's like kind of like oh you know it's early Kiyoshi Kurosawa, it's a bit mid. And then um, I watched that and I was like, this is not mid at all. This is incredible. This is like him right before he was about to blow the fuck up with like, you know, Cure and Pulse and, and all the rest of it. it. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 super low budget. Um, even I think like the, the outside shots of the, of the movie, of the building were like actually miniatures because I think I don't think they even had extra money to like shoot shoot a lot of a lot of outside shots so they just like found some miniatures somewhere and shot them and even apparently that film was the last film from the director's company and they were in so financial trouble at the time that like they ran out of money halfway through the company went under and they didn't even know who was going to distribute the film and then this like culture center called Atene Francais 
bought the distribution rights. And it was quite strange because, like, why is this, like, uh, French cultural society, like, taking on this, like, Japanese horror film, you know, from... And, and they liked the film, I guess, and, and, and distributed it. But, um, you know, thanks, thankfully, because uh, it sort of gave it a bit of more, more life. And then recently the negative was found. And obviously Kurosawa is, you know, he's the big name now. So um, it helped move things move things forward with it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very rough around the edges, but it's, it's you know, for, for the completionists, uh, because, you know, Kurosawa, it's never, it was available on DVD a long time ago in America, but um, it's never been that easy to watch or to track down. Um, I mean, there were shots in there that really reminded me of what he ended up doing with Pulse and Cure. But actually, a lot of it, I got massive John Carpenter's Halloween vibes. Mm. You know, like um, just the shape stalking the halls and the incredible way. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but some of the death scenes in this film are like amazing, like really creative and really brutal. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a B-movie. He was saying that... um. You know, at the time in Japan, there weren't really those sorts of films. And he wanted to make like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like a B movie. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what it is. I mean, you know, he went on to do, I guess you could say, like elevated horror with like uh, with Cure and yeah. all those films afterwards. But but Guy from the Underground is a B movie. It's a slasher sort of the cheapness works for it. So it's, it's, it's more entertaining than like his better films like Cure or Charisma or anything like that. That's probably going to be a bit of a sore subject but i'm just curious because loads of people have asked me um is there a reason why you couldn't get door three because that's obviously a kurosara film and you've got door one and two coming out together haven't you i mean it just has to do with with like rights and materials um so door one the reason the person who found the god from underground also found the negative of door uh he's a really really cool guy called ikoma takashi he was the producer of god from underground and part of the director's company at the end of it. And um, I filmed a really cool interview with him for the Blu-ray of God from Underground. I, re- I hope people watch it because he's like a really cool, cool guy. And he does distribution in Japan as well. So he found the negatives of Door 1, which was from the director's company, and Door 2, which which wasn't, and remastered them and cleared the rights. But Door 3, like the rights were just like a mess apparently. And also there was no negatives that, that could be found. So right, okay. without without materials, you know, you can't remaster it and put it on Blu-ray. I mean, it's just that's that's the thing you need the first, and then obviously you've got to clear the rights. And um, I mean, the rights for Door and Door Two weren't that easy to clear, but they were clearable. And I think Door Three is just like a whole different kettle of fish. And um, hmm. you know, and also he was working. It's a different director as well. So with Door and Door Two, he was working with Banmei Takashi himself. And in yeah. this case, like it was just like. It would just be companies and all that, so it's 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 just not as easy. I mean, actually, to be honest, I haven't even seen Door Three, so um. Oh uh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I see. I seeked it out. I could only find a very dodgy kind of old VHS rip or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, all, all the Door films are so different, right? Um, and that's a fascinating thing that seems to be happening in Japan at the time. Like you said, with Evil Dead Trap as well. You know, one, two, and three are so drastically different from each other. Well, the difference between these is that first of all, so door was was door, um, and then uh, Bamei Tagashi went to make another film after door, complete nothing to do with door, called Tokyo Diary, and it was a, a pink film, and yeah. they he, he wrote they wrote the script and they started filming it, and then just around the time door had been doing quite well on on VHS as a, as a V cinema title. Right. I mean, it initially played it in cinemas, but it went. It was doing quite selling quite well. So the the company were, who were funding this new pink film were like, "Oh, we'll give you more money if you call it like Door 2. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, "Yeah, but like it's not Door. It's like this." It's, 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 so they were like, "Yeah, but we'll give you more money and like you can have a higher production to like make it look better." And he's like, "Well, right." So like it's called Door Two, but like there's no connection to Door whatsoever. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely no connection whatsoever. Except there's lots of doors in it, but <laughs> yeah, maybe and maybe that's when when because they they had written the script and I think they were in pre-production or just started doing production and this thing happened. So maybe they added some doors into it just to like <laughs> make that make that or added like the, because there's a lot of the talking about door is done with voiceovers in the film. So maybe uh, the voiceovers were added after then, and it's like trying to just say door as many times as they could so they could connect it to the first one. 
<laughs> so good. Just for your information, there's not many doors in door three. So yeah. Ah, what, well. What's going on there? <laughs> awesome. Well, so those are your next two releases, are they then? Yes. So it's going to be part of this uh, focus on a director's company, um, a mini series. Hopefully I'm trying to get some more titles to to ex- expand on it, but it will be these like collector's director's company editions um, starting from the end of September with God from Underground and, and, and Door will be in in October towards the end of October so um yeah I, and actually I guess we can say it here because I saw some people saw I, I put it on BBFC and then some people already sort of figure it out but um, <laughs> ty, ty, like, Typhoon Club is it will be will be the next in that series of uh, director's company it's it's the most famous director's company film and uh yeah it, it's a and it, it's considered like many Japanese films like it's a legendary film but then nobody's actually really seen it so it's um yeah no I've not seen it I can't wait yeah I mean it's it's and also this is a four the other two are 2k and this is a 4k restoration so it's it's really really nice um wow good looking for sure this really does look like it was uh made yesterday it's and I I mean actually this is Hamaguchi Ryusuke who did drive my car it's one of his favorite films so he actually played it at the Berlin Film Festival this year and um hopefully I can get it to play somewhere like London Film Festival so people can see it on the big screen but um maybe it's not big enough for them to be honest (laughs) (laughs) we'll see is there anything else on your radar you want to talk about or we can just save it for the next episode I guess yeah I've got a bunch of other films but I think there will be next year um so this year we'll end up with uh, these directors company films and then next year I'm going to start off with a few new films because it's been focusing too much on older films that are past few releases and i want to show at least uh we've got some new films coming out from japan oh awesome that's a good sign because i know you say that you watch so many new films and they're not all very good <laughs> um so it's good to see you found some <laughs> decent ones that you want to back only some <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome well i mean it's good to speak to you again adam it's been it's been a weird few months but um hopefully we're back on track again now so we'll manage to get one of these out every month for people um and yeah we'll have to have a think about what next episode will be on um yes maybe a guest episode ah is it i hear i hear another tom mez is it (laughs) (laughs) indeed cool well if you're not following adam yet what the hell are you doing listening to us here He's at Third Window on Twitter, uh, at Third Window Films on Instagram, on, I guess you're on Threads now as well, I see. Apparently. I, I, I signed up, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't handle another social media platform. My hope is that Elon just fucks off of Twitter and just leaves it alone and we can just cling to the last dying breaths of that. That's everybody's uh, hope, I think. Yeah. But yeah, and if you want to follow me, I kind of just tweet and post about my kind of film diary, what I'm watching and what I think of them. Um, I'm just at BenjiBox, spelt with a Y. Cool. Well, on that note, (laughs) we'll say goodbye. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third Window from the right Two flights up By the third Window from the right The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shade pulled down That's the one where